You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. All right, this is a good start. Y'all are clapping for me, and I just walked out, so uh, that's, this is great. Um, as I've been getting ready for this series and kind of preparing for it, uh, I've been thinking a lot about elementary school uh, for some reason. And, and really, I, I guess, you know, it's like the good old days when people used to take, like, professional pictures of you once a year, and <laughs> y'all laugh, okay? But I want you to know that those glasses that I'm wearing over there, those are in style now, all right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, see, she's got some. Uh, now, the mullet that I'm rocking in these pictures is not in style and will never be in style again. Just, so just, I know that. Um, but what, as I was thinking about this, I, I've been thinking a lot of elementary, uh, specifically about what would happen every single nine weeks. They would do a, uh, like a ceremony where they would hand out all the awards for people every nine weeks. And it was like my greatest joy in life, my favorite thing, when my principal would call out my name and I'd get to like run up to the stage in front of all the, the different teachers and cl- my classmates and administrators and parents that would show up. And he would give me the blue ribbon that said A Honor Roll on it. And I was like, oh man, I'd get it, like put it on my chest, I'd walk around like strutting through the hallways, you know, I had like my George Jefferson walk going as I walked through, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. And, and I had so much fun, I loved it, and I would like get on the bus, and I'm like high-fiving guys, like I'm walking into the Spurs game, you know, and getting announced, and I'd walk into the house, again, like a conquering warrior, you know, like I just got back from battle, I'd walk in, and, and um, I remember one time specifically, which kind of like connected to this, this service, um, I came in all, all strutting with my blue ribbon, and my mom sees me, and she's all fired up, like, oh, that's so great, that's so great, let me see your report card. It's like, cool, mom, yeah, sure. Pull it out, I hand it to her, and she starts looking at it, and the joy, I, I just see her excitement, her happiness in her face just leaves, and her face drops, and she goes, a 91? That's almost a B. How am I supposed to go to Christmas and talk with your aunt who has a son, your cousin, that always gets 96s and 97s on everything? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to tell her when she's bragging? What do I brag about? Go to your room. You're grounded. It was early on in my life that I felt like no matter what I did, It wasn't enough. So I spent a lot of time doing my best to achieve everything I could. Always wanting to be the best. Because I hoped that if I climbed over every single person and got to the top, that maybe, maybe then, I would be enough. To this day, this is something that I have to constantly fight off. The search for being enough. What about you? Do you feel like you're enough? Do you think you're enough at work? Could you be more productive than you are right now? Do you think you're the best spouse? Are you regularly stepping up and carrying your load in the relationship? Do you think you're a good parent? Are you able to spend time with your kid every single time they ask for your attention? Well, I know the answer for a lot of you is no. You don't feel like you're enough. 
And I know that because person after person has been coming up to me while I've been preparing for this sermon, coming up to me and talking to me exactly about this, that they feel like they're dealing with all kinds of insecurities. Thankfully, we can turn to the Bible to see how God has put people together to be exactly enough for the situation that they are in. And we see this in the story in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. You see, at this point in time uh, in the Bible, the king of Israel was a man named Saul. Uh, But Saul disobeyed God. Uh, He would actually get words from God from a prophet, a guy that just hears words from God. And he would, uh, Samuel would give him words and say, hey, God wants you to do this. And Saul would say, cool, I'm not going to do that. And he did that one too many times. And at the end of it, Saul was removed from power, and Samuel was tasked to find the next king. So God sends him to the city of Bethlehem, uh, specifically to the house of Jesse, and he tells Samuel, hey Samuel, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. I'll tell you who it's going to be. And that's where we're going to pick up in the scripture here. Uh, They're there at Jesse's home waiting on dinner. Uh, There it says in 1 Samuel 16, 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So guys, this might be one of the most important things that you ever read in the Bible. This is how God views people. This is how God views each and every one of us. It doesn't matter how you perform. It doesn't matter how tall you are or handsome or beautiful or strong or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's going to look at the inside of you. And actually, the Hebrew translation of that is... It would say he looks at our mind, our will, and our heart. That's where God is going to find his next king here in 1 Samuel. Not in the person that looks and acts the part, because the big brother, right, he's, he's this tall, like, strapping man, and it's like Samuel sees him and goes, of course, that's the next king. Look at him. And God says, no, I'm looking inside of people. I'm looking for the right mind, the right heart, and the right will that's going to follow me. And that brings us to the first half of the big idea that I want you guys uh, to remember from the day. It's that God looks within me. So I want you to say that with me. One, two, three. God looks within me. So back to the story. They would bring up six more brothers, and each time God would say, no, not him. Another son of Jesse would come up. No, not him. On and on and on. Until finally, like Samuel's confused because he's like, I know God told me that one of these kids is going to be the next king, and he keeps, but God keeps on telling me it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. So Samuel asks kind of like a, a weird question to Jesse. Uh, you see it back in 1 Samuel 16. He goes, uh, hey, Jesse, are, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse replies, oh, well, they're still the youngest, uh, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Well, we'll send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So that's kind of a weird question, right? Like, Jesse, you got any any more sons? Uh, You know, like, I'm looking at your kids. You got one that maybe you don't know about or something? Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) 
But it, it's interesting uh, because Jesse's reply is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got one more, but like he's the youngest. And, and so it's interesting because when you would look at uh, the, the culture back then, it was like the first son was always the one that inherited things. The first son was always the one that would carry the bloodline on and would be in charge of the inheritance and splitting it and doing all that. The oldest son was the one that was in charge of leading the rest of the family. So the last son was like the last person that they would ever think would lead anything. And specifically, when you look at the Hebrew word uh, that that's... Um, they use right there that Jesse uses for this son, he says uh, uh, the youngest, but really what it means in Hebrew is the smallest or insignificant. So yeah, he's like, oh yeah, my insignificant son that's herding the sheep out there? Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't need to see him, bro. Like we got, did you, did you take a look at Iliad? Like that guy, man, like he's awesome. Uh, and, and so that's kind of like where, where they're at. Um, but it's interesting because the youngest son out in the field, his name is David, is getting called in, and, and I want to take a look at what it looks like when he walks into the door. We'll go back to 1 Samuel 16. So Jesse sent for him, David, and when he came in, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So just like that, right there, the youngest, smallest, and most insignificant son of the family was just picked to lead God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. So what is it that qualified David to be in this position? Well, there's two answers to that. The first answer is, is God. God qualified him first off. You see, God has created all of us with a very particular set of skills and abilities for us to use in our life uh, for the world that's around us. And all of those things are powered by God and the Holy Spirit within us. And we see that actually explained in the New Testament book, 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to all of us so we can help each other. We all have spiritual gifts, and we have all been called to help each other in this. This is how God has set the whole thing up. And then later in 1 Corinthians, it explains some of the gifts that we are given. There in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are the apostles. Second are prophets, people that hear from God. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Then uh, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages, which is exactly what Doug was talking about last week when we were talking about speaking in tongues. So these are just a few gifts uh, that it talks about are handed out by the Holy Spirit uh, and, and by God in, in the Bible. There are so many more that we don't have enough time for us to like go through the list of all of them. But if you're interested in researching this and, and getting into it and knowing how your spiritual gifts have been put in you and exactly how you can use them 
for the body of Christ and with people around you, I want you to show up to Growth Track. We have that going on on April 7th and the 14th. We have it going on every single month, the first two weeks of the month, uh, at 2.30 next door in the cafe. Uh, so it's, it's a really fun time that you're able to, to have. You dig into it. You learn some good things about you and how God has put you together. And again, like how you can leverage those things to turn around and help the people that are around you. So if you're interested in signing up, go to citychurchdowntown.com slash growth track. So back to David. Uh, there were two gifts that we can see uh, were given to him at an early age. The first one is the ability to worship God through a musical instrument. Uh, the second one is the ability to protect a flock. And we see both of those at work in the Bible. The first time we kind of see it working is also in 1 Samuel, where it talks about how David was called on by the king to go and play the harp for him, uh, because the king, King Saul, was being tormented by these evil spirits, and so he called David in, and David would go in, play his harp, and worship, and during that time, the evil spirits would actually leave King Saul and allow him to rest. So this is this is uh, David playing, worshiping God, and having other people experience the love that God has for them in that moment. So that's, that's David worshiping. The other side of it, protecting a flock, we see that also in 1 Samuel, uh, later on in David's story. You see, uh, there's a war happening, a battle happening between uh, his country and another one, and he's still like hanging out at home, but all of his big brothers are out at battle. So David's dad, Jesse's like, hey, take these supplies to your brothers at the front line, give them some food, and, and just come back when you're done. So David heads out there, and when he gets there, uh, he's just handing out the food. He hears this, this guy like talking a bunch of mess and he, he's asking around like what's going on and they, they find out that it's the, the lead warrior of the Philistines army, Goliath, standing in the middle and just calling out all of the nation of Israel and like, come on, who's going to fight me? Who's going to fight me? And Goliath's saying, okay, we'll, we'll call it like this. If you come out and beat me, we will be your slaves. But if you come out and I beat you, y'all are going to be my slaves. Y'all are going to be our slaves. So here's the thing about Goliath, though. He's nine feet tall. That's what it says in the Bible. He's a giant, he's strong, and he's ugly. So every single person on the, in the Israelite army is like, nope. Not going to fight that guy. Like, I don't want to get near this dude. This guy is undefeated. No piece of this guy. So then David shows up. And remember, David is somebody who worships. David is someone who is talking with God all the time. He's somebody who's like, man, God is amazing and talking all, all great about him and all the things that God does. Well, the nation of Israel is something that God has chosen. These are God's chosen people. This is God's chosen army. And that dude out there, He's talking mess about God's chosen people and God's chosen army. So you know what David does? He says, no, 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 man, that's not going to happen anymore. I nominate myself. Let's go. I'm, I'm going out there. I nominate myself for tribute. Let's make this happen. And so he goes up and he actually tells King Saul that he's going to do it. And we'll, we'll take a look at this conversation right here in 1 Samuel 17. He says, David told Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You were only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. 
I have done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of a lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. This is craziness, guys. Are you, are you reading along with this? This teenage boy took out a bear and, and a lion with a club all by himself. I mean, I know teenage boys that like can't even take out the trash, much less... <laughs> much less a bear or a lion. So you know that is God at work in David's life. And you know what? He was called to protect that flock, and David trusted in that gift and that ability that he had. And again, that's how you know God was at work, because teenage boys don't take out lions and bears all by themselves with a club. And so David is a man that's called a man after God's own heart in the Bible. And I think the reason is because he would lean into these gifts that God had given him. And then he listened to what God wanted him to do all the time in these gifts. And you see it happening right here as he addresses Goliath uh, back in the scripture in 1 Samuel 17. So he's walking up to Goliath and he tells him, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Notice that David doesn't say, man, I'm walking in there and I'm going to whoop you so hard. You aren't even going to know. Man, I got a bit. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I'm going to walk over there and my God is going to mess you up, dude. You don't even know. I've messed, I beat up a lion the other day. You're not a lion. You're just a dude. And so he's just really enjoying this time of leaning into God. He knows it. And so what happens? Shortly after this exchange, Goliath charges David. David reaches into his satchel, pulls out a single stone, puts it in his sling, slings it at him, and the, the stone lands right in the middle of Goliath's forehead. It says it sinks into his forehead, and he drops and dies right there, just like that. And just to add insult to in injury, David goes and grabs his sword so he's not a liar because he's going to follow through with it, and then chops off Goliath's head with his own sword and then carries the head back to, to, to uh, uh, Israel. Because he, you know, he told him he was going to do that, so he didn't want to be a liar. Um, it went exactly the way David said it would go, right? He wasn't speaking out of overconfidence when this happened. He knew what God would do through him. He knew how great God was. David had defeated wild animals coming against his flock. And this day was no different. There was a wild animal coming against his flock. And he knew that if he depended on God, God would take care of it. The only thing that had changed was the stage, was how big the stakes were at this time. And Jesus actually talks about this exact concept in the book of Luke. We see it there in Luke 16. There Jesus says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. David was faithful in little things when he was hanging out in the wilderness with his flock of sheep. He was faithful and he leaned on God. He worshiped while he was out there. He defended his flock. So when he got there in front of an army that was trying to imprison, imprison his nation, he did the exact same thing he had always done. 
He depended on the spiritual gifts that God had given him. He listened to what God wanted him to do, and he was victorious in the battle. Guys, this is the same thing for each and every one of us. God has given us the exact right tools for us to win our battles. There might be a giant standing in front of you right now, but he has given you all the tools that you need to win this battle. He has given you exactly enough. So that's why this is our full big idea for today. God looks within me, and he has given me enough. God looks within me, and he has given me enough. So I want you all to say that with me one time, okay? You ready? One, two, three. God looks within me, and he has given me enough. All God wants us to do is the next right thing with everything we have been given. We're never given more than we can handle. We are in the exact right place, in the exact right time, and God has given us the exact right tools for us to handle our situation. You are totally enough to defeat anything that is standing in front of you because God is standing behind you. God has given you the perfect things to be victorious. God has looked within each and every one of you and said, you are enough. So I want to take you back to the, the story of my family. I started sharing part of it here at the beginning. Uh, growing up, my parents could be tough on me. Uh, they pushed me to be better at school, uh, to try and be a better athlete all the time. And there's a major reason why they pushed so hard. Uh, you see, when my parents got together, uh, my dad was 24, my mom was 18. And shortly after they got together, I showed up. And uh, I wasn't exactly planned. So uh, they kind of got married before I came, did that whole thing. Uh, and at that same time, my aunt had been dating a man for an extended period of time. And they had gotten engaged and were planning a wedding and all that. And so when my parents would show up to family functions, they would hear people telling my aunt and her fiancé, oh, you guys are doing it the right way. And my parents would hear that. Or they would tell my parents, man, you guys aren't going to make it. You've only been dating for, for like eight months now. Y'all aren't going to make it. So imagine what that would do to you if you were put in that spot. It would probably put a pretty big chip on your shoulder, right? It'd probably make you want to show those people that they don't know what they're talking about. It would probably make you want to have good kids that got good grades and were good athletes. So because my parents were made to feel like they weren't enough, they pushed me and my siblings. Well, it's 35 years later, and my parents are still together, whether they did it the right way or not. Yeah, one guy is appreciative of that. Thank you. Not only that, they have three fantastic kids, one of them way better than the other ones. And uh, all those kids have great families of their own, and my parents have three amazing grandchildren with a fourth one on the way. It was actually really cool. We were all hanging out last night and seeing grandbabies climb all over them and run around the house. It's like their greatest joy in their life right now. And uh, if they were here right now, uh, they're coming to the next service. I would want to look at them and find them and actually ask them to stand up uh, because I want them to know that they are enough. And even though everybody told them that things weren't 
right, and they weren't doing things the right way, they have been exactly enough to help create a thriving and loving family. Now, I know there's others of you in this room that have felt like, man, when it comes to being a parent, I'm not enough. And if that's you, if you're feeling like that, I just want to ask you to stand up right now because I have some things to tell you. If you've ever felt like I'm not a good enough parent, I want you to stand up right now. If you've ever been in a relationship before, romantic or not, where you were made to feel like you're not enough, I want you to stand up right now. Even for you guys in the cafe, if you're watching online, if you're, all, if you're home alone and you're feeling it, I want you to stand up right now. If there has ever been a time at work where you're walking around and your boss has made you feel like you were less than, like you're not enough, or a teacher made you feel like that while you were growing up, I want you to stand up right now. If there has ever been any time in your life that you ever felt like you don't measure up, in any way, shape, or form, I want you to stand up right now. Guys, I want you to look at me. Look me right in the eyes. I want you to look at each and every one of me. Or look at me, each and every one of you. I'm so fired up right now. I've got enough to get through this. I want you to look at me and I want you to know that you are enough. You are enough. You're enough. You are enough. God has put you together in a very specific way. God has called you to do exactly what you're doing right now. God wants you to be there right here, right now. He has given you the exact things to say that you are enough. You are enough. And how do I know that? It's easy because I look in God's word and he says exactly that. You look at John 3:16 and he says, "For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life." God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. Last time I checked, you are all a part of this world, right? You're all a part of it. And Jesus looked down, looked at each and every one of you, knew exactly who you were, knew exactly how you were gonna do great things, knew exactly how you were gonna do bad things, and he said, they are enough for me to sacrifice for. They are enough for me to go up on that cross and give up my life for. I am okay with that. That is an even trade. That's how I know you guys are enough. And not only that, Jesus' sacrifice, that single act, was enough for you to erase your sins and allow you to walk in heaven for eternity with God alongside Jesus. That single thing was enough for you. He's all you need, guys, to engage in these gifts and these things that we're talking about to show the world that you are enough because God put you there. But for some of you, you haven't started that relationship yet. 
You haven't started and ever declared that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and the things that you've done wrong in your life. So if you're someone that's never done that, I want you to just, let's all just bow our heads actually right now. Let's all bow our heads and pray because here at City Church downtown, nobody prays alone. We're all in this together. So if you've never started a relationship with Jesus and you want him to be enough for you, I want you to stop and silently talk to him right now and pray something like this along with me. Jesus, I don't know that much about you, but I want to. I want you to enter my life. I want you to show me how you can do amazing things through me. I'm ready to be enough for you. So right here, right now, I'm saying, I believe you died for me. I know I've messed up in my past and I'm sorry, but I believe you were sent into this world to save me. And from here on out, I wanna follow you the best way I know how. So with our heads still bowed, if you're someone looking to lean into God, if you need him to let you know that you are enough, pray something like this with me right now. Jesus, I know when I look around in the world, it makes me feel like I'm not enough. Please remind me that I have you within me. Please remind me that you have created me to be the perfect person in the situation I'm in right now. Show me how you've been putting me together to take out that giant that is standing in front of me. Please continue to look within me and give me enough. Thank you for what you're doing for me, Lord. I love you. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So guys, right now what I want to do is I'm going to invite some of our prayer leaders up to the front. And if you feel like you need someone to pray with you right now, if you feel like you need someone to speak some words of affirmation over you right now, there's potentially a word from God waiting for you to explain exactly how you were enough. If you want to receive that, I want you to come down to the front and pray with these folks. If not, that's okay. You can still come down to the front and pray and kneel here, up here, and ask God to give you a word just on his own, just between you and him. Or you can even stay in your seats, that's okay too. But either way, no matter what you're doing, right now the band is gonna start playing and we are gonna sing out to our Lord, Jesus Christ, that he is enough for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how you've been moving here today. We thank you for how you've been speaking to us, how you've been letting us know that we are enough, that we are wonderfully and incredibly constructed by you. Thank you. Thank you for that. We love you so much. And we pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.